Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 115. I'm your host, Eric Moore. This week, we're going to ask about Ethereum and Bitcoin, maybe even Dogecoin, the fake coin. We think it's fake. It's probably fake. And inflation. Are these good vehicles to combat inflation with me? I was going to say as always, but sort of always uh, is our sometime permanent co-host, Jay Pestercelli, CEO of Zega Financial. How you doing, Jay? Good, Derek. How are you? Yeah, almost always, often, but not every time, whatever. Right. Glad to be here. 115. Congratulations, Derek. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, no balloons for 115, maybe 150. Uh, maybe that's the one. Yeah, you're kind of like, remember when Jay Leno used to come on Carson? I guess he used to host Carson when Carson was semi-retired, right? Leno would, would do Wednesdays. They'd bring him in just to kind of cover. You, you think Carson was just tired at that point? Like, let's just bring him back. I think so, yeah. I think yeah. so. All right, so first of all, Here's, here's kind of some of the things I think we need to cover. Um, I, I may take a more skeptical point of view on these. Uh, you may take a more optimistic. We know Ethereum, especially of late, has actually been outperforming Bitcoin. So we should probably talk about those two things. Um, we also want to discuss, realistically, what are people talking about as a safe or conservative, I shouldn't say safe, but a conservative allocation to these. Uh, talk about, you know, is it a currency, a store of value, really blockchain? And yeah, I guess we got to talk about Dogecoin. So first, Jay, Ethereum, Bitcoin, what are sort of the differences between these two? Like, what are they? What's the difference between these two that, that sets them apart? Yeah, if, if, if I could just start out saying, Derek, I don't think either of us consider ourselves an expert in cryptocurrency tokens or the blockchain. Is that fair to I'm say? certainly not. I am okay. definitely 100% not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not like if we were talking about options and premium selling, I feel like we'd, we'd you know, we'll, we'll go toe to toe with anybody who wants to have that conversation. But there's been such a request for information uh, uh, of late, even more than, you know, than we saw, you know, two years ago, three years ago, that we just, we really, I know we really wanted to talk about this today. And so if I could just maybe take a step back a little bit about what is it, right? Like I talk to people uh, and people that have invested a long, long time and they're like, well, what is this cryptocurrency? It's not real, is it? Is it a thing? And I, I, I got to bring us back to where it all resides, which is on a blockchain, a blockchain. Um, there are multiple blockchains. And if I could just go two seconds on a quick, just quick description of the blockchain, I think it'll help people understand why the tokens and currencies exist, which, by the way, yes. up until us planning for this, I thought tokens and currency were the same thing. And they're not. So it just adds to the complication of all of it. So uh, let's so real quick, real quick. The blockchain is essentially a database, right? So for anybody that's ever opened up an Excel spreadsheet, you know that's kind of a mini database and you got data in there and you enter in certain information and you want to record what happened, right? That is a database. Blockchain is a database as well. It's just a distributed database. So instead of all your information being located on, you know, a single spreadsheet or in a single access database or located on a single server or even just located within a single company, like say, your bank, right? JP Morgan or Wells, they have their own database of client transactions. The blockchain is a distributed database. 
which means that database is replicated and uh, mimicked across the internet, across the internet in uh, in nodes, right? Nodes is just a fancy way of saying there's a bunch of people that have the same database, right? And it is verified that it's the same, that everybody has the same entries. And that's all the blockchain is. And as you create new entries into the blockchain, also known as a ledger, ledger, that's not a hard term for people to understand, right? Just a, a, a records. Um, you create a new block. And once that block is completed, you now, that block is then replicated across the whole set of databases. So if there's, you know, 10,000 computers out there that are all uh, uh, recording information for the Bitcoin blockchain, that means that they all match and they all verify to each other that they are the same. So that means every transaction ever made in Bitcoin is replicated and recorded throughout this distributed database on all 10,000 computers. So why do I bring that up? I bring that up because we will talk a little bit about are the transactions real, right? Are they fake? Like, can, the, can it just go away? Can I, can I make an investment in a cryptocurrency and then it just disappear? And the easy answer to that is no, because there's a record that you made that transaction. Now, the value of Bitcoin can go to zero. That's a different story. But the record that you made that transaction uh, exists. And, you know, blockchains are not limited to only currency transactions like Bitcoin, although I probably already stepped over the bounds calling Bitcoin a currency. But let's, for the sake of things, call it a currency today uh, uh, for now, for this for this explanation. Um and so essentially, you should think about that every transaction created in that currency has been recorded and duplicated and distributed throughout the database of these thousands and thousands of computers. So that is what a blockchain is. So why does that matter? Actually, Derek, let me pause. Do you want to add anything to the blockchain uh, explanation? Because I think once people can understand that this ledger and distributed database also known as a blockchain, exists across thousands and thousands of computers and nodes, hopefully people understand that there's real data there, just like there's real data at your bank that records your transactions. So anything you want to add there? I, th I think, yeah. So on another podcast, they made the comment, hey, couldn't you use blockchain to get rid of this stupid title insurance? That every time you refinance your house, even though it's the same bank, you got to pay for another title. So blockchain and Bitcoin can exist, or I shouldn't say can exist. Like you don't need Bitcoin for the blockchain, but it's sort of help of proof of concept, right? Yeah, yes. And so, so why, yeah, so like, great, I've got this distributed database. This is a wonderful idea. And you're exactly right. A blockchain could be used for a lot of different things. It could be used, uh, you mentioned, uh, to track an asset, like a house or a title. It can be used, it is being used today to even track things like uh, uh, food, right? And so the supply chain of food. And so if you're trying to figure out, hey, we got a bad batch of lettuce over here, where did it come from? That is all being recorded in the agriculture and, and food industry to know like, oh, wait a minute, these, you know, the, 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 I don't know, what was, remember when the lettuce was like, what did it have, Ebola in it or something like that? Romaine, yeah, um, it was like romaine lettuce or something. Yeah, romaine lettuce. They could then track exactly where it came from, and it's verified by multiple sources that this is kind of the path of this. And so, yeah, it could be used for a lot of different things. 
It's just a database. But here's the big but. Who, who gets paid to maintain this digital database, right? If it's an individual company, it's part of the cost of doing business, right? Derek, we use, you know, uh, cloud storage at Zega Financial. You know, we do this. We share our data on the cloud between all of us and we pay for a service for that, right? But who is paying for the blockchain, right? And the, the, this is where the storage of value comes into play. This is where cryptocurrencies come into play. And so if you decide to buy some computers and have them store the ledger of blockchain, you're going to record and hold on to, you know, have a record of every single transaction ever occurred that ever occurred and say Bitcoin, for example, that's expensive, right? There's electricity costs, there's computing power. Um, it's not the most expensive thing like mining, but there, it is expensive to run that. And guess so guess what your reward is for verifying the ledger for holding the blockchain. Your reward is you get a little bit of cryptocurrency. You get a little bit of Bitcoin. And that is what you earn. And bit, the way that the blockchain for Bitcoin code is written is that it'll distribute a small amount to your digital wallet, a small amount of, uh, of Bitcoin if you're going to be a node or a supporter of the database. And that's the concept. It really is, hey, you do good by creating this distributed database where the, the program's going to do good and give you a little bit of cryptocurrency. That's how the two are related to each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I think I think it's be, yes. I think for our purposes today, that makes sense. You're getting paid because people ask, well, what is it? Like, what does it do? Like, what, what, like, what, this thing, it just feels like it came out of nowhere. It's creating no, it's incentives. You need to create yeah, incentives. It's a payment for, for service. It really is. Yeah. A, you're right. That's, that's exactly right. Okay. So now we know what this blockchain is, and now we know what this digital currency of, uh, uh, of Bitcoin is. Your original question was, what's the difference between Ethereum and blockchain? <laughs> I'm sorry. Ethereum, Ethereum, Ethereum and, Bitcoin. and Bitcoin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Well, okay. So, um, Bitcoin is really meant to be uh, um, uh, meant to be a currency, meant to be a carrier of value, deliberately meant to fit into the finance world and to pay people for their support of the blockchain, but also for financial transactions. That's what Bitcoin is designed around. Ethereum, while it also is a cryptocurrency, also has a token, Ether. And essentially the difference is, Ethereum is the payment for not just this financial transaction, but really the architecture for the blockchain itself. So think about, you know, Ethereum as kind of the, the roads and sewage system of the blockchain uh, uh, code and network. And I'm probably I'm probably batch, botching that up a little bit. But think about it more as a utility, more as there's a real function, there's a real need. If you're going to use blockchain technology for anything, you're doing it on the backbone of Ethereum. It's almost like, you know, Windows as your operating system when you want to produce anything on your computer, right? Think about it that way. Whereas Bitcoin is designed more around financial transaction and a delivery of uh, a financial value. I don't know if I complicated it or not. <laughs> I might have made it more complicated. No, that helps. And you know, 
it's worth, I, I think we go into this now though. I mean, uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin are part of what people call cryptocurrencies or, or digital currencies. And the, the idea of Bitcoin as a currency, uh, I'll probably take a step back for a second and, and, and think about one, why do we need currencies in general and then why Bitcoin? So uh, the idea of Bitcoin is over time, because of inflation, because of uh, the way, I'll just use the U.S., uh, government debt increasing, money supply increasing, you know, use the term, quote unquote, Fed prints money, uh, that over time, your purchasing power holding U.S. dollars has declined. We know that on an inflation-adjusted basis, uh, you know, money um, today, today's money is going to lose value in purchasing power as you go forward, right? So the idea is to have something, a currency, that's outside of the, the normal government currency that will not be deflated. So that's, that's the holistic view. And then, then why do we need currencies? I mean, this, this goes back to, you know, Jay, I have a goat and you have uh, a pizza. And I'm like, I'm really hungry. So I'm going to pick up my goat and walk a mile to your house. I guess the goat could walk too. But anyway, I, I pick up this goat I walk to your house and I'm like, hey, I got this goat. You need a goat, right? And you're like, yeah, that's great. And you give me the pizza. I'm like, fantastic. And I'm like, where's my change? I'm like, well, we can't really break up the goat to make change. And by the way, I had to lug this goat, you know, a mile to your house. But I like that you gave the Italian guy the pizza. Like, I'm glad yes. that Jay Petrocelli <laughs> is the pizza guy. <laughs> Derek Moore is the goat guy. <laughs> Maybe it's Lombardi's pizza from New York. Maybe oh, that's the love Lombardi's. Shout out to Lombardi's. Yes, coal coal oven on spring. It's on spring and Mott, right? Spring and Mott Street. You got it. <laughs> Look, like north of Canal Street, uh, southern part of uh, Little Italy, New York. Yes, if you haven't had that pizza before, definitely. But this idea of currency is: I don't want to walk around with my goat or my gold or anything. So the idea is you have this currency that I don't have to trade a goat for a pizza and worry about making change and lug it around. I've just got so, – so that's sort of the general idea. Now, are these currencies or not? And I think this is where I'll, I'll be the, the skeptic. And neither of us really knows long-term you know, where these are going. Um, I mean, in general, we don't make market predictions in the equity market. We, we buy and we hedge, right? Hence the title of your book and the strategy. But I would say that Bitcoin as, this is my opinion, as a currency, um, is abject failure too strong a word? I would say it hasn't fulfilled because nobody really transacts in this. I guess now you can buy a Tesla. But the volatility of this is problematic, in other words, if you were going to, you know, let's say Bitcoin's at 50000 even, you're going to buy a $50,000 car. Well, if you pay in Bitcoin and then Bitcoin goes to, uh, immediately goes, you know, the next day to, I don't know, up 100%, down, up 50%, down 50%, you know, it, it doesn't work because it's too volatile and you, would, you wouldn't want to sort of keep it. The other reason why I think it, it fails as a currency is, uh, and I read a, an article on Bloomberg, I'm not a CPA, I don't play one on TV, I didn't watch any you know, accounting shows last night, 
But my understanding is, Jay, that if you Wait, go- name, you, name one accounting show. Where's where's that exciting TV show about accounting? Is that The accountant. <laughs> wasn't he, he doesn't do a lot of accounting, that guy. It's a good movie. Though. Wasn't that? Yeah, no, uh, that's Ben, ben Affleck, it's right? Ben Affleck, yeah. Yeah, no, he does not do accounting in there. Anyway, no. so according to Bloomberg, if you buy a Tesla- you've got to pay capital gains on that. And that's very different than, let's say, if you just happen to have euros, you know, you changed into euros and you held euros and you go and you pay for something in euros. So I'll just say the idea of currency, and then I don't think it works as a currency because the volatility, because what Bloomberg I read on there about the taxes. And yeah, let me, let me stop there for a second. But I don't, I don't think it's a currency, Jay. I, so, so this is going to be one of those uh, uh, podcasts where Derek and I are going to be on different sides of an issue, which is which is a nice, you know, we get a little back and forth here, a, a nice dynamic. You know, Derek, we, we had initially said we were going to, you know, not really claim our own personal opinions on this and just take the perspective of the skeptic and the optimist. You've already said what your opinion is. So, you know, I don't know if I have to come in with a little stronger optimistic opinion, but here's here's what the optimists would say to your currency uh, point. And you do make a valid point that currently if you bought Bitcoin, Bitcoin for $10,000 and it goes up to $100,000 and you buy a Tesla, you're paying capital gains on that. You're not just buying a car. Although I'm not sure if that's really been defined quite yet, right? So there's the accounting aspect of it, right? If it's really going to be a currency that you're going to buy and sell things with, then you know how do you tax the gains, right? So today with the dollar, Right. If my dollar happens to be worth more today than it was a week ago when I got paid because of you know currency exchanges, I don't pay capital gains when I go out and you know buy the dough for my pizza. Right. I'm uh, uh, I just don't. And so you know today you're right. Uh, crypto is is not defined as a currency yet. It doesn't meet that stable, uh, sustainable source of value. But you are correct that uh, one of the rationales, one of the reasons why. Bitcoin does exist is meant to supplement, uh, you know, individual country uh, currencies, right? Meant to replace uh, the fiat currency and really the transfer of data associated with that. Uh, and so, I do think it has some some distinct advantages over uh, uh, over currencies, right? So, let's say I am going to buy that Tesla, Derek. Um, I don't have to worry about am I wiring? Am I writing a check? As the vendor, as Tesla, if I'm the guy, the salesperson for Tesla, and and I, or I'm running the finance group for my Tesla dealership, you know, I I got the money in ten minutes. Like that's how fast, and it's confirmed, right? It's a confirmed transaction. If I'm wiring you money, or I'm sending you, writing you a check, or I'm financing, that takes all day, sometimes multiple days to get done, and there's no record that I didn't just defraud you. So with a bad check, so with crypto. The, the, the speed of transaction and uh, the verification of that transaction is absolutely superior to what exists in the finance world today. Yeah, I think that's an important point to make because even now, if I wanted to, uh, I'm going to make up a country. I'm not going to make up a country, but let's use, we're in the U.S. I, I mean, want there's to 184 somebody. of them. Just pick one. Yeah. <laughs> Iceland. You know, I want to wire somebody money in Iceland. And it's going to go from U.S. dollars, and it's going to, you know, flip into into euros. There's a cost to doing that. You've got to go to a either a bank. Uh, bank may charge fees. Uh, Western Union. 
And then, so yeah, I mean, there's a cost to doing that. It's not instantaneous. And you probably lose a little, there's some slippage there. Now, Bitcoin has fees too. But I think that does get a little bit interesting from just this idea of a, a global currency that's outside the parameters of, of the normal ones, right? I mean, when you, that's probably a, a, a good benefit to think about, right? Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right that that transaction, if, you know, I met somebody in Iceland and I wanted to uh, sell them, uh, I don't know, something online, it's very easy to transfer that money to them without going through, you know, a Western Union. By the way, it also makes it just as easy. I probably shouldn't make this point for you for bad guys to do things too, right? So, uh, you know, I don't, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, let's 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 use Western Union as an example. So let's go, let's say you're a, a hacker and you've, you know, you've got uh, uh, some company, you're ransoming their, their, their website, right? In the past, the way that they would get paid is they would say, Here's, I want you to send the money to this Western Union in Ukraine, and I may or may not go pick that up. Who knows, right? But you're going to send money to this location at, at a Western Union in, in the Ukraine, and then they go get the money, and then they release your website to you. That doesn't exist anymore. By the way, though, that's really how it happened, right? I, gosh, I remember one time at a firm you and I used to work with, somebody tried to somebody tried to you know hold the website for ransom and threatened to do a, a you know a, a DNS attack on it. And it was fine. The company that we worked for was fine against that hack. But that was, you know, we played along and sent the FBI after them because it's like, okay, we're being attacked and we're, you know, we're being threatened. Let's see if we can catch them at the Western Union. That's literally how it happened. So while the speed of transaction and ease of transaction is great for, you know, most people, uh, it's even better for the bad guys. However, I will say because it's all tracked. So now I'm going to counterpoint my counterpoint. Because it's all tracked and there's a ledger, um, you know who took that Bitcoin. You know who got it, right? It is not anonymous. Bitcoin and Ethereum and even Dogecoin transactions are not anonymous. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Uh, in the past, years ago, uh, you know, you could set, you could be a little less forthright in who you were, but you had to set up a wallet that, you know, identified who you were. Nowadays, uh, if you're going to use like a Coinbase or a Bitstamp or one of those type of brokers, you got to show who you are with all kinds of ID. There is only one uh, um, uh, cryptocurrency that's designed to be anonymous, and that's Monero. Let's not talk too much about Monero. But my point is, with the exception of that that I know of, uh, there are probably more now, but uh, with the exception of that, it's not anonymous. The bad guys still have the same problem they had before. It's just they have an easier way to get paid now. I really shouldn't have gone down the bad guy path. I'm not helping my case here, am I? <laughs> Let's talk about the store of value. So I, I would say it's not a currency uh, or it's not, you know, doesn't fit the, the classical definitions of a currency in its usability as such. Uh, but the store of value then, and here's where there's, I mean, so store of value just means there's something that you own and you believe that, you'll be able to, that will keep value. And at some point you'll be able to sell that, hopefully for more than you, you bought it for. And so I think this is where really this lies. What the real value is or how to value it, you know, I wouldn't pretend to, to know. Normally when you value a stock, you would look at, you know, cash flows or you would look at dividends or expected revenues. It just is something. And 
you know, so I, I think that's where it sits. The challenge, though, on value in this too is maybe I'll, I don't know if I should give my baseball card example now uh, or hold it, but. But let me, let me come back with your store of value uh, uh, comment for a minute, right? Yeah. And, and, and I would argue that the purpose of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin is to create uh, uh, the ability uh, to, to, to transact as a store of value, right? I mean, they, they, that's, that's their purpose, right? To create, to allow for transactions so you don't have to divide up the goat, right? There's a reason why you can buy 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, right? They break it down so you can go all the way down to a Satoshi, which is 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, right? So you could divide it up as small as you want. So while maybe its value itself, I shouldn't say maybe, there's no argument about it. The value of Bitcoin itself is extremely volatile. I can't even argue against that. It's very volatile. However, its uh, ability to act as a means of facilitating financial transactions is, is pretty well established. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I can argue with that. I think it's... Uh, yeah, but then we, we go to the store of value, right? So basically, to me, Bitcoin's kind of like a painting, or it's kind of like I said, baseball cards. It's and and the value is that when you buy it, you think you'll be able to sell it for more than you bought it for, and there's there's a willing buyer that you'll be able to find. Because the reality is, unless you have a willing buyer, so I think that's where maybe I look at if I'm in Bitcoin. Or Ethereum, and those are the two big ones right now. Um, you know, that's I, I would always worry that something else will come out. And I think Ethereum, you know, has run recently, and Bitcoin has been relatively flat. And I don't know; I have no idea uh, if that's because people are switching from Bitcoin to Ethereum, and there's on a relative basis. But I, I, I do think that's something that people should keep in mind, and I think it is a risk. Yeah. So there are hundreds, if not thousands of different cryptocurrencies, all with a certain purpose. So uh, you can have uh, any one of the current currencies, I would agree, could be, you know, replaced with another one. Right. And it's like, hey, I'm, I used to think Bitcoin was the thing I was supposed to hold if I wanted to buy a Tesla. But maybe Bitcoin falls out of favor and it's something else. Right. Uh, uh, you know, we, I don't even have to guess. I don't even want to guess what some of the other ones that it could be. So you're right, Derek, in the fact that maybe this isn't the exact right one. With the dollar, you don't have that confusion. The dollar's a dollar. That's the currency of the United States, right? There's, 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 no, there's nothing else. Um, so you're right in that aspect. But again, I'll throw it. You brought up stocks here and we talk about value. It's like anything else, right? Um, Blackberries used to be the premier cell phone. Guess what? They're not really anymore, are they? Right? You got Apple, you got Samsung. So th different services can be replaced within the marketplace if they are superior. Um, Ethereum, you know, which is designed to kind of be the, you know, the sell the processing power or pay people for maintaining the processing power of, uh, uh, of the blockchain. You know, the, look at even them, they are you know, looking at uh, uh, splitting off Ethereum and going with an, an Ethereum 2, which, you know, is supposed to have, you know, better capabilities and your old Ethereum may not be worth too much until they convert, right? There's all these added complications here. And so I think you're right, Derek, that the industry is so young 
uh, you've got the risk of, you know, like maybe Bitcoin isn't the thing to use anymore. Uh, oh, I will, I will say, you know, half the market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies is in Bitcoin, right? So it's, it's pretty big. Um, it's, you know, we're not going to lose Apple as a, as a provider of cell phones for a while. And probably same thing with Bitcoin. Um, I, I will add one other thing, uh, one other point to this. Bitcoin especially has a limitation to the maximum amount of coins that can be produced, right? So you don't get kind of the flooding of the market of Bitcoins. It's getting very, very difficult and expensive to mine and create new Bitcoins, right? I think uh, last I saw there was close to 19 million coins in circulation, so to speak. The maximum ever that you can ever have is just shy of 21 million. It'll never get exactly to that, but it's just shy. So you have a supply and demand function associated with Bitcoin. And so when you talk about the value of Bitcoin, uh, let, me, let me take you to one that you and I have talked about before. Let's talk about the value of gold. There's only so much gold on this planet and it takes more and more dollars to mine that gold uh, uh, every ounce that they pull out of the earth. And at some point there won't be much more or it won't be economical to go get more. So there is a limit to the amount of gold that you could pull out. Um, but, you know, you get paid for pulling it out of the ground. That's, you know, a similar situation which is going on uh, uh, with Bitcoin when it comes to the supply. Yeah, I think I think the reason why I, I bring that up and th those I know that's the difference between, let's say, Bitcoin and some of the others that have infinite supply. And I, I go back, you know, late 80s, early 90s, anyone who was around our age was probably, you know, collecting sports cards, whether it be baseball cards or, or football cards, or it was just kind of the thing to do. And it was fascinating because back then you had a player who was a rookie and the cards sometimes, you know, these used to, I don't forget what they cost back then, 50 cents, dollar for, you know, a couple of packs. And you had these rookies that would be bid up to like 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And you had this baseball card, Beckett's would price baseball cards. And there was sort of a, a finite supply. I mean, Tops was the company. And then 1980, 1981, I remember Donruss and Fleer came in. And then, uh, was it yeah, late 80s? But it was it was in the late '80s that supply really started coming on. You had Fleer, Donruss, Upper Deck, Bauman, which was a defunct company, came back, and it was sort of a bubble in the baseball card world. And they were trading—I shouldn't say trading—they were priced at crazy levels. And eventually, I mean, I, I saw a documentary that one of the companies was actually printing extra cards that were really valuable because it was essentially printing money, and they were bringing supply in. And I think it's a useful thing to bring up because, um, you know, you said there's a finite supply of Bitcoin, but some of these other ones, there's no finite supply. There could keep being more and more and more. And the point is, you know, when there was just tops, there was just tops. But there's nothing to say that more companies like Upper Deck and Bauman and Fleer and Donruss couldn't come in. And that's why I think, you know, I'm taking, I'll take the skeptic side of this um, I don't know what's going to happen here. You could have so many coins come in that it dilutes the market. And I think that's the point of, of me bringing up the baseball cards, Jay. 
right. Well, all right. So I got a few few things here. So, you know, show of hands on the podcast, how many people here were born before 1980, which Derek is quoting. Oh, Derek, I can't see anybody. I'm just kidding, by the way. Um, <laughs> Listen, it's, it's, you're, you're, so you're not wrong. I mean, you want to go back to the tulip uh, bubble. We can talk about that too. Uh, I, my, the, here's the differences, right? So you can't print, I don't even know the rookie that you mentioned. Sorry, I already forgot his name. You can't print more of his cards and flood the market in Bitcoin. You, and if you want, and if you tried to, it's expensive. I guess you could print and it's expensive to print it. It's not like, oh, just change the picture run the same card that's only worth 50 cents, print more of this guy right at bat. That's not the case. It's ex- it's expensive. Mining, uh, I think I think mining costs on Bitcoin today cost about $7,000 a coin between the computing power and, uh, uh, you know, all the other uh, things that go into producing these. And so there is a little bit of a cost to produce these things uh, that is prohibitive from flooding the market. So that's kind of my first point. The second point is you mentioned value. The value of anything is what someone's willing to pay for it, right? I mean, you could use your house as real estate and which is booming where you live, I know. And you, I know you're scratching your head. Like, I, I can't believe what houses are going for here in one afternoon, right, in Arizona. And, 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 but it's what someone's willing to pay for it is what creates the market. So there's a cost to produce it, a real cost to produce it. It's not, it's not baloney. It's not garbage. There's real dollars that it takes to produce one of these, to produce a Bitcoin. There's a limited amount. Oh, and by the way, the value is what people are willing to pay for it. And so while I understand why you brought up the risk of the baseball cards and people could flood the market with it, it would have to be a different coin that would do that. Now, Doge is different, uh, and, and we can talk about that last, but you know, Ethereum is you know, not uh, limited. It does have kind of a, a fixed issuance. So you can't, you know, unlock all the Ethereum in one week. It does release over time um, uh, because I think they were the, the, the usefulness of it. They didn't want to limit it by uh, uh, having a, a max when it's meant to be a utility. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not completely convinced with the base, baseball card analogy and the valuation is what somebody paid for. It. And at the time when somebody paid you know, the value for, for a baseball card, odds are somebody, you know, that's what made it into those guides of, hey, this is the value of your car. But, you know, of course, the, that can all uh, fall apart when nobody wants to buy those cards. And I think that leads to really what I think should be your biggest objection is what happens when the bottom falls out of one of these coins with regard to its pricing. Forget about its, you know, is it a real thing? Is it a not real thing? There's a ledger and it's all recorded. What about the value of this? And, you know, does it have a sustainable market? And so, look, I set you up for, you know, probably what I would say the biggest reason not to buy these cryptocurrencies. So I'm giving you an easy handoff because I I feel like I beat down most of your points. But let me give you this one. Well, I think that, uh, no, you're right. And it's it's not unlike any asset. I mean, let's let's look at... uh, and uh, actually, Jay, why don't you explain real quick? Because I, I want to make, I want to well wield this point in. Um, talk about closely held versus liquid amount of, like maybe even just do it in Bitcoin, right? There's there's amount that actually trades and there's some that is not accessible. It's kind of like insider shares versus, can you just talk about that briefly? 
Yep, absolutely. So this is not my data. This is data that I found by doing a little research, and I think you could you know, quickly search for the liquidity of Bitcoin. Uh, the data that I found at the beginning of this year that only 4.2 million Bitcoins are actually being traded. So I told you a minute ago, it's about 19 million coins uh, have been unlocked and are in circulation. But really, it's only uh, about 4 million that are actually traded uh, uh, on a regular basis. The rest of that coin is held by institutions that are crypto brokers and or someone that has decided to really lock lock it up. And so I don't know, I can't give you all the reasons why the crypto coins are locked up, but what you can see is that that percentage of coins in circulation as more and more is getting unlocked is, is as a percentage is, is dropping. And so there's only a finite amount of coins that are out there in circulation today from a trading perspective that aren't really locked up for various reasons. The one I gave you is the fact that exchanges uh, uh, like uh, uh, Coinbase, for example, um, have to keep a large amount of it on hand because that's what their clients hold. It's almost like a reserve, right? We don't, we don't have to get into capital reserves and all of that, uh, but that also exists when it comes to the crypto. So it's only about you know, 20, 20, 22, 25% of the coins that are actually being traded. Take it from there. Yeah. So if I look at a, a company and we just go back to the equity markets for a second, it, it's not unlike what you see in, in Apple or Microsoft or other companies where they're, they're sort of, whether you call it the free float, um, that's the shares that are readily available, tradable. And then there's ones, a lot of times insiders, you know, they're, they either have restrictions on them or, or they're close, closely held shares, we'll call it. And we would say those are not readily available in, in the float. Those are not going to be traded. And so I, I think that's, that's an interesting point, but it also goes to the less float you have, the, the you know, like any, I'm not saying it's a bubble, all right? Let me be clear. I don't know what the right value is. The right value is whatever people are willing to transaction, right? Um, what the value of it should be. I don't think anybody could put that on. Uh, but there is this theory that, you know, when this crowd, and I'll call it a crowd, moves from this asset to something else, we don't know what that's going to be, and you have more sellers and buyers like anything else, as the, the price starts to move, there is a good propensity or probability, one of the two is right, uh, so that, you know, there'll be some acceleration on price one way or another. And it's the same thing, Jay, on the way in. We're seeing more buyers than sellers. There's no other way to say why an asset goes up. And so my, my concern for some people, and maybe you know, this is where we can talk about what, what would be the right percent for anybody to look at of their portfolio and some of this stuff. But my concern for some people is they, they get out of things or they go with such a high percentage uh, fear of missing out. They, they see other people making money and they get in at the unfortunately, at the wrong time. And I think that's, that is a concern because at some point, uh, we don't know when it is. If people transition to something else, um, you're going to see a mass exodus. I'm not saying that's now. I have no clue, Jay, when that is. But I think that's my concern. And maybe, you know, we get asked questions all the time, like, what percentage of my assets should I actually put in this? And it's, it's a question we never got up until I think this year, right? 
Yep. No, it's uh, 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 the increase. You know, I, we did get questions in 2018, right? When it first broke 10,000, or was that 2019 when it first broke 10,000? But it was more of a curiosity, like, oh, this thing isn't gone yet. It's still around. Now, as people see, it's trading at, I don't know, today, I think I saw 58,000 uh, for, for Bitcoin. Um, you know, people are saying, well, sh- should I really have some of this in my portfolio? And how much should I have? And uh, you know, Derek, you are absolutely right that the price is volatile and liquidity is a real problem in uh, uh, in the markets. You'll always be able to trade it. That is the beautiful thing about it. Um, it might be only worth a dollar, but you'll be able to trade it at that. Uh, but you, 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 that's the, the the benefit of this. Whereas, you know, sometimes in certain markets, you can't even find a buyer. Right? I mean, buyers of you know, high yield debt in the, the uh, COVID crisis uh, in the markets in March of 2020, you, you couldn't give away stuff, right? You just, you were, you, were, you were locked down. You couldn't find buyers. There is always going to be the ability to transact and it'll be a recorded transaction in the blockchain on the ledger. So it'll be a real transaction and it won't be fictitious, but the value is what the worry is. And so I think with all things, uh, you're, you're right to assess how much risk do you want to take? And I think in the article we put out a few months ago, uh, you know, we were using the uh, uh, actually, Derek, you you wrote the blog post about the uh, the article, and I'll kick it back to you uh, on the on the amount and, and what the rationale was. But you know, we there is an amount that is appropriate for some people to hold uh, if you have the right risk tolerance and the right risk appetite. So I'll kick it to you on that. If you want to talk a little bit about what we've said in the past or what others have said in the past on holding. Yeah, and I think I think what you're talking about is the uh, it was the Forbes article that we referenced, and so I'll link to this in the show notes. And the question I wrote the article is how much Bitcoin should be in your portfolio, um, and actually Kiplinger was the article, and uh, so we'll, we'll link to that as well. But they hinted at potentially a half a percent, and they said, you know, a half percent. And one of the points that I made in the article is there have been several 80% drawdowns that have, have already happened in Bitcoin. And, you know, meeting at, at, least, heck, three. at, one point, at least three. Yeah, at I least three. <laughs> I mean, it went from 20,000 down to 7,000, didn't it? Uh, even lower. Yeah, even lower. So, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, and you would have to have, you would have to be an institutional level client or a very wealthy very wealthy client to be able to hedge this in the futures markets. But, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I think a half percent um, is is probably a good starting point. And, you know, it's money that you really, you got to ask yourself, am I okay with looking at my my app or my, my computer and seeing my statement and seeing that I lost 80%? So I think that's the type of volatility that that you would to be expected. I mean, at Jay, the S and P five hundred over time, what is the the, the volatility on that? Like nineteen percent over a very long period of time? Oh, I, I think it's a little less, even more like sixteen. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, and so yeah. here you have an asset that almost moves, you know, a hundred percent. And so I, yeah, I mean, in that article too, I think one of the points we made too is that. Uh, you know, a small slice, and Jay, you talk about the inner guru in your book. I was going to say Broken Pie Chart. That's my book. Uh, by the way, good Mother's Day gifts 
excellent, uh, either broken pie chart or a uh, buy and hedge. But in, in your Mother's book, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Available, available on Amazon online. next day, yeah, next yeah. day shipping. Um, you know, you talked about the inner guru and, and to me, this is a perfect inner guru part of the pie chart where you, you do a little exploring and it's one of those things where with a little bit of money, if you get an outsized return, it, it could do some filling in. So I, I don't think that article's wrong. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, if you have a, you know, a million dollars of, of investments, putting $5,000 into, uh, uh, into some cryptocurrency, maybe you want to divide it up between Bitcoin and Ethereum. I don't think that's a ton of risk for most people. If you're a conservative investor, don't bother. Enjoy the show from the sidelines. But, you know, if you're someone that's looking for growth and you like to look forward and, you know, this, this may be just an interesting experiment that ends terribly. Uh, yeah, there's a good chance your 5,000 is worth a lot less, you know, in the future, right? You just have to be prepared for that. Uh, Derek, you know, I think full transparency, you and I hold some cryptocurrencies in our own personal investments for the fact that we just have to be in, be in it because we talk about it so often, right? And to understand the nuances that go on with the different, uh, 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 tokens and currencies, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I think it, you use your own risk tolerance when doing it. I certainly don't recommend anybody having more than 10% of their assets uh, uh, in it. Uh, you'd need your other assets to go up 11% to offset that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, Derek, that I think um, having some is not uh, is not terribly risky. And the great thing about it is you could do it in such small increments, Right. You did also mention there's no way to protect for the uh, the average retail individual investor. That's true. Um, for institutions, they do have some products they're building in the futures market where you can do some of the interesting things that we do with options uh, to create some protections and synthetic exposure, all those fun things. But that is a, an institutional level uh, investor that you know invests in things like hedge funds and private placement. Uh, for for us, when when I you know my recommendation to people is if you're curious about it. You know, put a little in it. It's fine. You could buy a little bit, and then you get to you get to sit, you know, front row to watch uh, to watch and feel what's happening in this, you know, emerging financial instrument. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. I, I probably said to people in in the late '90s and early 2000s. Uh, you know, should I buy some of these internet stocks at five thousand PE? Yeah, put if you want to, put a little bit. But I, I always, I, th I think the way you put it in the book, the inner guru is, is I always like that, and I think that's that's a good way of putting it because some people do want, uh, you know, a little bit of view on it. But we got to talk about Dogecoin, which, you know, is is really so. Elon Musk has tweeted out that you know he's he's not necessarily recommended it, but he said, you know, the dog is. Uh, really hunting today or so it's got a picture this is jay explain what Do dogecoin is like a fake coin right it's got a picture of a dog on it yeah yeah it was really it was a, created as a spoof of bitcoin right and uh uh it's 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 i think it was developed in 2013 right so it's been around for quite a while and traded between you know one to five cents for what six years seven years so it didn't really move at all and then it you know ended up becoming 
kind of a, a, a like a Reddit Elon Musk, you know, a couple big, you know, uh, uh, celebrities in the in, in the finance space, and I'll, I'll throw. Elon Musk in there. He's he's one of the wealthy guys in America, right, Derek? Would you say he's he's done? All he's right got so a couple far? bucks. He's- yeah, um, you know they they started creating a, a a cult following about it. And again, it's it doesn't have any utility, right? It's not like Ethereum, and it's really not like Bitcoin in the fact that it's meant to be a you know the uh, uh, like a transfer of value kind of a thing. It's it's a trading vehicle. It's 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 GameStop. At, you know, 100, maybe it runs to 400 for you, right? I mean, the whole point is, can you get to Doge? The, the big thing about it is you're trying to get Doge to a dollar in value, right, from a penny. I remember uh, 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 in January, my son came to me and said, Dad, I want to trade this Doge. It's it's trading at three cents. Uh, I was trading at five cents at the time. I said, okay, all right, well, where are we going to do this, right? And we, you know, he wanted to open a Robinhood account. And I was like, nope, that's not happening. Nothing wrong with Robinhood, by the way. Just not opening an account for my 16-year-old there to go buy Dogecoin. You know, later that evening, I said, how's the trading? He goes, it's down in one penny. So it was one of those things. Of course, now, <laughs> I think I saw it was in, in the 60s, like 68 cents just the other day. It really had a strong week. But all it is is, is a trading vehicle. And the thing is, you put money into it. You buy it and you turn around and sell it for a profit. That profit is real because it's a real transaction. By the way, you're going to pay taxes on that. Um, like all things, as you should do in America. Let's not go there. <laughs> no sarcasm <laughs> about capital gains tax. Uh, uh, and and it, But it is a real vehicle that you could trade it. And it's driven by, uh, right now, uh, uh, you know, a lot of demand for the coin. It does have an unlimited supply. So if you're mining Doge, you could just be mining away and, and it, there's no limit to how much you could produce on your own without even trading it. But yeah, that's it. It's it's It doesn't really have any functionality or, or value uh, to speak of, except it's a trading vehicle. That's it. I'll give you some numbers, Jay. And yeah, it's not even supposed to be a real coin. Which which sort of bolsters my case. I mean, there's a real blockchain. It's it's not like it doesn't have its own blockchain. So to say it's not a real coin means it's the transactions are fake. That's that's not true. I mean, it it is a real currency. There's an article on Yahoo Finance, and I think what's happening now is there's a lot of people who have looked at theoretically what you could have made. Um, according to the Yahoo article, if you put I'm not, I'm not going to do 15000 If you put $500 into Doge at $0.19, cents, uh, it would be worth you know 120000 today, right? So that's, that's what a lot of people are seeing. And then the article, they interviewed uh, somebody, I don't know this person's age, uh, but he said, hey, instead of watching Dogecoin's rapid rise and wondering, is it too late to buy in? Why not buy $500 and learn a couple lessons, even if it doesn't make you a millionaire? Um, so I think you're seeing a lot of people come in and they're using some recency bias to look at what people made. Jay, you and I know that we've paid, uh, we say the tuition to the market many times where we've, we've had some trades that, that did or didn't work. And sometimes you have to learn some lessons here. So, uh, some, some people may make money on this. Other people, I think will learn some lessons and the hope is the lesson isn't too harsh, meaning too much money, right? Yeah, you, you know, the, the phrase I've been using for the last year, year and a half is experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. 
<laughs> and so go, you know, get some experience trading Dogecoin. Like there's going to be winners and losers in that. Probably more losers than winners. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to shy. Uh, I'm not going to tell people to shy away from trading if you, that's what you're going to do. Just realize there's no value in what you're really trading uh, when it comes to Doge, except for I, I'm going to throw a baseball card analogy on, except for what the last guy paid for it, right? Is is what the the last price is. But what you should just keep in mind is. They're real transactions and the money you make on it or lose on it is real. Yep. Fair enough. The, uh, the other thing I want to get to quickly is, uh, you know, we know everything you hear right now is inflation, inflation, inflation. Jay and you and I were talking this morning and I, I had sent over, there was a graph and it showed a historical graph showing, uh, what was it? Um, inflation searches on Google are at like an all time high. And obviously, we didn't have Google in the 70s. Maybe it would have been an all-time high then. And then they showed a chart of what the core inflation rate in the U.S. And, you know, the rate currently is not, nowhere near the, the amount of interest. So bringing this back to, to sort of these coins, one theory is that, hey, you know, gold used to be the go-to inflation, commodities, um, you know, any number of things. You know, we would say people may want to gravitate out of like the 60-40 potentially if they're worried about an interest rate rise uh, and they've got long duration bonds. That's why we like, you know, hedged equity. But Jay, I don't know if we have enough history. We certainly don't have history during inflationary periods of what these will do. Um, Any thoughts on, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin maybe as a replacement to gold? Yeah, I, I, I don't. There's a lot of crypto bulls that will make the case that, you know, crypto is the new gold. Um, yeah, there's definitely not enough uh, evidence to, to, to back that up, in my opinion. I think as a flight to safety, safety is not to be found in, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Especially not at these levels, whereas a lot of people run to gold for, you know, safety. Gold is gold, right? Gold has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, the price of gold does have a correlation to inflation, right? The, somebody told me if you were to buy a loaf of bread in gold, it cost you the same amount of gold 20 years ago as it, or 50 years ago as it does today. I'm not sure how true that is right now, but that has always been kind of the going thought about gold when it comes to inflation and stability. Gold has stability. The volatility of gold is less than that of the stock market. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it's a re- placement for, you know, those that are uh, fleeing to, you know, when, when you have a flight to safety. But when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, a currency play, and I mean currency play in terms of the dollar, it might be interesting, right? Uh, you know, as your dollar gets weaker, uh, uh, Bitcoin is worth more and those types of things. And so, I mean, maybe in that aspect, it could have some similarities. Uh, it, it almost feels that for a while, um, I'll give you this. Maybe this is a better uh, uh, analogy that I feel like, you know, crypto has become, you know, the 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 risk money that was trading, you know, uh, cannabis stocks a few years ago or even, uh, you know, the Reddit traders on GameStop uh, or, or, you know, uh, AMC theaters. Right. Those it feels like that is the dollars that are starting to really flow in and out of crypto. And I would say those are not the gold dollars, right? I think they are very different. I, I wouldn't necessarily consider Bitcoin to be a hedge against inflation. 
There's not enough data for it. I mean, but treat it like a commodity. Maybe that's a way to look at it. And in that case, it could provide some growth in times where inflation rises. Yeah, I would agree. And I've, you know, you might, as the the quote unquote skeptic on the call, or at least, you know, that's, I do think of, you know, you maybe back away from being the skeptic at this point. No, I mean, you know, you're doing is killing me, dude. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, t- t- typically, and we had a conversation about this yesterday, uh, you know, about what do people go to? I mean, there's a lot of, I won't get into, is, is there going to be inflation? Is there not? I, you know, that's another episode we could do, but you know, generally it's weird. Oh, I think it's needed. Yeah. It's a oh, needed for sure. episode. Yeah. But it's like, you know, where, where do you go? Okay. And then there's all these questions about what type of inflation, do you have a recession with inflation? Is it stagflation? So a lot of, it gets really complex and those decisions sort of inform your choices. But I'm going to say, I mean, I could see, you know, maybe there is a place for, for Bitcoin or Ethereum or in, in sort of the, the inflation basket. And, you know, it's the basket where you had, I'll call it, you know, a decade long regime of if you had sustained inflation, you had commodity prices, you had gold. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is uh, as a store of value. Um, I don't know how much, but I think it's something to look at. And But for me, I agree with you. We just don't have the history. And so maybe if we did have a period like that and it proved it's, it's metal, perhaps that's something that could uh, you know, be evaluated. But I, I don't know. I don't know yet. I think it's, you know, because the other thing too is, you know, we know in sell-off, sometimes you sell what you can. And for large investors, if they're getting margin calls or they're getting, you know, a lot of, some of the assets are getting hurt, naturally to raise cash, they might sell the thing, even if, even if this would hold up. So I don't know, maybe I just talk myself out of it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Derek, I, I, the basket I put this into is, you know, long-term speculative investment uh, with money that if I lose 80% of it, it's not going to change my investment plan. That's where I put it. But most people should have that kind of a basket, no matter how small it is. I think Tracy Alloway from Bloomberg, um, I'm, I'm not going to quote her accurately, but I will try and do it warmly, as they say. You know, she made the point that the type of market we're in right now, it feels like we have, uh, I don't know if she called it rolling bubbles, but she made the point, you know, and I think you started to go down this road. It's, it feels like you have this group of traders that are going from one thing to the next. Um, you know, something runs, uh, people get out, whoever's left, you know, winds up taking the losses. So I don't know if this is going to continue in crypto or not, but it feels like, especially with Dogecoin, for sure, that's where this crowd has gone right now. Um, and look, if I, I just hope for people, you're not putting too much money into these things. Uh, for me, this is my PSA, my public service announcement. Like, If you're investing in Dogecoin, this should be money that you're, you're fine losing. Um, that would be my advice. And that way, if you lose it, and you get taught a lesson, it's it's not a very expensive lesson. So, um, Jay, anything else we haven't covered on this one? That's a point we could both agree on, Derek, I think. Treat it like that. Um, but, you know, I think there's some legitimacy to it as far as, you know, the transactions are real. Just the value is the thing that's hard to put your finger on, right? So, yeah, no, no I, nothing else, Derek. I think uh, it's just hopefully people found some value in us explaining a little bit about what it is and 
you know, how it exists and is it real or not, and then price volatility. So I think we gave a little more than the 101, but maybe not too much more. But by the way, before we wrap up, did you see there's a couple NFL players who are taking their salary in cryptocurrency now? Do you see that? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a real transaction. Like, it's a real thing. I think they're crazy, but I don't want my salary to be in crypto. But whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. I don't know why you need the salary. Couldn't you just get paid in U.S. dollars and then convert it yourself? Yeah. I don't really know how that you works. Could. But but you yeah. are, I think the fact that you're seeing NFL players, you're seeing, you know, sport, I don't know if actors are doing it, but it's in the... It's in the sort of, uh, you know, in the common airwaves now that you're seeing people do this. And, um, and I think the reason why you say, hey, I don't want my salary in it. I mean, you don't want to look at your bank account and be up or down 80%. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you pay your taxes, your income taxes, if you're getting paid in Bitcoin? Like, I don't, I don't get that. Like, they withholding and then buying and then digitally transferring it to you. Maybe you want the, you know, the check a little faster, but then what? Then, you, know, you I mean... I got, I have no idea what I was going to say, here's my advice on that. And if you're like in law school right now, think about a career of specializing in digital currency taxation law or something like that, because you'll be needed at some point. Hopefully not too many people do it because then, you know, supply and demand, but. And Derek, if you're lucky, maybe you get your own TV show about accounting. That's right. <laughs> I'm not an account. I don't. I don't do accounting. You know, I te- I do teach on the side. You know, I say on the side. But I- so you're the one that said you didn't watch the accounting TV show last night. I don't know what that is, but maybe if this is so exciting and crazy, I think it was the accountant. You found a new a new idea. Who doesn't do accounting, right? All right. Anyway, <laughs> let's leave it there, Jay. Before we uh, get off the rails even more than we already have, uh, Jay. Thanks again for coming on. As always, uh, appreciate the insight. Hopefully, this is helpful for people and. Uh, we'll, we'll have you back on soon. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Eric.